Okay, so let me tell you what we're doing. We are going through what seems like maybe a non-spiritual um, exercise of learning how to build bridges, but it probably could be the most spiritual thing we do simply because it follows the nature of God. God himself gave us a bridge in Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of bridge building. In 2 Corinthians um, 5.18, it says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That is, making Christ the bridge between heaven and earth. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, the bridge of, uh, the, the, the ministry of bridge building. And so, we're, we're, we want to do what is necessary for building bridges, that is reconciliation, and that is to equip you to have the kind of conversation that will create intimacy. Here's the deal. If the unique thing about Christianity is that we build a personal relationship between us and God, what does it say when we can't even build personal relationships between each other? That's not a good model. And so God wants us to have that kind of capability. And we began um, um, last week with the basics of bridge building. And we began examining the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. You know this, you know this scripture well. Um, um, by the way, last night, uh, Rob uh, Andresik sent me a link to a, I think it was a TED talk by, um, Celeste Headley, and she was given the, the basics of, of um, good conversation, but she said there's recently been a study done by Pew of 10,000 Americans that shows we are more polarized, more divided, less likely to compromise, less likely to listen and learn, making our decisions on relationships and involvement based on our opinions and those who have opinions like us. In other words, we are more divided as a country than we have ever been in our history. So this is a very relevant conversation, not only for the kingdom, but for the culture. And let me just say this, of course we have an interest to build spiritual conversations. Because we're still here to help people get closer to God, and in helping them get closer to God, we'll get closer to God. It just works like that. But if you take these principles, they'll not only help people get closer to God, these principles could save your marriage. These principles could, could create a closeness between you and your kids that would not have been there otherwise if we just learn how to do this. Well, let's take a look at how Jesus did it, all right? First of all, I said last week that he began this conversation at the woman of the world because he, he crossed boundaries. He, he crossed this chasm, all right? It says in John chapter four, starting with verse seven, and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, um, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? All right? 
Um, um, and, and remember how she knew he was a Jew, not because of the way he was dressed, not because of the way he, was, he looked. He was a stranger to her. But he said, Aramaic, for give me to drink, <coughs> is Tanelishkov. And, 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 and the Jews pronounced, leash, pronounced the sh sound, Tanelishkov. The Samaritans didn't pronounce that. They'd, they'd say Tanelishkov. So by his accent, she knew he was Jewish. So he says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now let me, ch let me show you the chasms that he's already crossed. He crossed a, a, a chasm of geography. <clears throat> he, as a Jew, went actually into Samaria. Jews would go all the way around Samaria to avoid the geography. If you want to have a conversation with someone who is different than you are, most of the time you're going to have to cross a geographic stretch. It could be across the room, it could be across the street, it could be across the world. But you need to get in their territory, literally in their territory. Because that's where they feel safe, that's where they, that's where they live, and that will help you understand them. He crossed the gender boundary. How is it that you, being a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman? Men didn't talk with women out in public. He happened to see her as another person, not as another gender. He crossed that boundary. He crossed the cultural boundary. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We all have subcultures that we look down on, all right? That we don't think are as good as our subcultures, you know? And, and, and so, and that's how it was with Jews and Samaritans. So he, he, he crossed the cultural boundary and he crossed the religious boundary. Here's a woman coming to get a drink in the middle of the day, at the, at, in the heat of the day, because she's too ashamed to be there with other women. No other women are around because they went early in the morning, but she came at noon because she was living a life that people put shame on her. But Jesus didn't. He just asked her for a drink and said, I, and, and, and this is important too, he didn't put himself in a, in a, in a, in a, um, a position of superiority. You'll never establish a relationship by putting your possession, yourself in a position of superiority, ever. You've got to go in humility. You've got to help them know they have what you need. They've got something not only you want, but you need. Give me a drink, put him in a humble position. You have something, he didn't play the rabbi card. He didn't play the man card, he didn't play the Jew card, he didn't play any of the cards, all right? He said, would you, would you give me something to drink? And so, he goes on from there. And this is important. Jesus answered and said to her, when he said, how is it you, you're, you're asking me? He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It says furthermore, furthermore it says, <laughs> thank you. She said to him, sir, I, I, those poor folks in the booth are just going, he didn't do this last service. Yeah. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water from? 
You're, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Here, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, this physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him and her a well springing up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Now, I've got to say, there's not all of this applies equally. Jesus knew, as we will see it unfold, Jesus knew this woman and, and, and her life. I don't know whether she'd, he'd been told about her or he had this divine word of knowledge about her, but he knew about her. So he could get right to the spiritual part, all right? Not, most of us have to know another person well enough that we can speak from their perspective, and that takes time. Remember what I said last week. The physical principles of building a bridge are the same as the spiritual principles of building a bridge. You've got to first have footers on both sides of the chasm. The footer on your side of the chasm, you have to know who you are. You have to know what you believe. You have to have enough insight in yourself to know that, that you can you can observe and be aware of your own reactions so that those can be guided in a helpful way. In like manner, you have to come to this side, strange territory, and stay for long enough and listen for long enough and empathize for long enough that you have learned life from their perspective. Long enough that you can actually say their perspective in a way that they would agree, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, you heard me right. And so th this is really important. Jesus, having done that, being the example of that, heavenly person who counted equality, not a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. The Word became flesh. He's a perfect example of that. But what, what happens here is that, <clears throat> that he offers her something more. You know what that is? That's a stringer log. A stringer log is, is the plank that you lay down. It's not the flooring you walk on. But it's what, what, what connects both worlds. He offered her the kind of resource that would satisfy her forever. Do you know, we all think we're getting that when we get what we want, but we're never getting that when we get what we want. This is what it says in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. There it is. That's what Jesus said. He's, he's going to give this woman. To hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, when you... When you get married, don't you just think, well, I got it. This is it. This is it. And then it kind of leaks. And it gets a little empty. All right? And it's not quite the thrill it used to be. When you get a job that you've always wanted, you say, well, this is it. Yay, I got it. I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. But that kind of goes away. And it leaks. See? When you, when you accomplish something, when you, you get the principle. What about it? If somebody would come to you, as somebody has, 
and would say to you, I offer you more. Something that will give you fulfillment forever, no matter what you're going through. No matter what you have or you don't have. You will always be full. See, when you offer that, you have people's attention. But let me tell you this. You get people's attention by paying attention to people. And that's where the conversation comes in. This is why this is very important. I know a lot of people who say, you know, I wish I was an interesting person. <clears throat> I wish I were interesting. Do you know how to be interesting? Be interested. Truly, be interested in people. Create this holy curiosity that Jesus created in this woman. What in the world would that be? But you know what happens? When you just listen to someone, when you actually pay attention to someone, you create a holy curiosity in them. What does this person have that I don't have? What's this person's agenda? Why are they listening to me? The rest of the world doesn't listen to me. Why are they listening to me? There's an absolute instant connection. And what that does is it gives us the opportunity to hear the rest of the story that the rest of the world doesn't hear. The rest of the story that the rest of the world doesn't hear. We have not been taught how to have prolonged conversation, even consistent conversation. Uh, um, um, in the Atlantic Monthly, in, 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 a, in, in a magazine, <clears throat> a high school teacher, I think, was, was telling that 30 to 40% of our teenagers text over 100 times a day. Now, they're keeping in, in, in connection, aren't they? But they're not learning how to have a conversation. Because a text goes in short segments of words that are exchanged. That isn't a conversation. It isn't a conversation until you listen long enough. And this takes a long time to hear more than what fits in a text. You know, you remember the, the, the name George Marshall, General George Marshall, one of, the, one of our, our country's heroes, actually. <clears throat> this was a five-star general who was not only chief of the army for a while, um, but was secretary of state of our nation. Um, he created the plan to rebuild Europe after World War II, still called the Marshall Plan, won the Nobel Peace Prize. And he, this is what he said. I love this. He said, do you know, you know how to handle people? Now, now you got to get this. This is from the head of a command and control organization. This is coming from a general who can order done whatever he wants done. He said, do you know how to work with people? Three things. One, listen to their story. Two, listen to their full story. Could I just say this? That requires investigation because people don't start with their full story. They start with little surface stuff, with one or two word answers, and they won't tell you the full story unless you coax it out of them and stay quiet long enough to hear it.
I heard, <laughs> heard this story one time about a farmer um, who had been walking down the road with his mule and his dog, and this, this speeding truck just comes careening around the, the bend and, and just knocks them all into the ditch. And a couple of months later, the farmer sues the truck driver. Well, they get into the courtroom, and the truck driver's attorney gets this farmer on the stand. And he says, I just have one question for you. Just answer yes or no. Did you or did you not say at the scene of the accident that you were perfectly fine? Farmer said, well, <clears throat> let me tell you how it happened. There was this truck coming around. He said, no, 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 no. I said, yes or no. Did you or did you not say you were perfectly fine when you were at the scene of the accident? Farmer says, well, the truck was coming... He said, no, and, and finally the judge intervened. The judge said, well, I, wait, I, I'd kind of like to hear what he has to say here. I, I want to hear some more of the story. And so the farmer says, thank you, judge. Well, the, 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 the truck was coming around the corner and it was coming so fast and he, and he, and he just crashed into me and my mule and my dog and, and, and he stopped. You know, that's good. He got out and he came up and, and he saw my dog was just so injured. My dog was howling in pain. And so he went back to his truck and he got a gun and he came up and he shot my dog. And then he looked at my mule and he saw my mule had a broken leg and he shot my mule. And they looked at me and said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. You know, most people that say I'm fine, there's a story behind there. There's a story behind there. But it takes listening. It takes an attitude that we actually want to learn. See, we're making many of our choices right now to only be and talk with people who are like us, who agree with us. But we'll never grow unless we learn. And we'll never learn until we cross the chasm, until we, until we are connected with people who are not like us. I, I want to just give you just a couple of principles of communication this morning. And as I said before, this isn't just about evangelism, although it is about evangelism. Some of you will say, I don't know how to have a spiritual conversation. Well, we're going to help you out. Mechanics, the mechanics are, are fairly easy. Um, and Chris Kingsley, who's a wife of one of our elders, um, pointed this book out to me. Uh, they're in crew, um, and, and it's called God Space. Now, we, we, we won't have it available this weekend. I notified the bookstore people late, and they're running around with their hair on fire. And uh, so we'll have them next week. But it says, where spiritual conversations happen naturally. Do you remember what I said? We want the spiritual to become more normal and the normal to become more spiritual. And, that, and, that's, and so in here, if you want to say, I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't even know what to say. I, I wouldn't even, and, and they've got chapters that are entitled, I, lo I love this, um, Noticing Your Way Into Spiritual Conversations. Serving Your Way Into Spiritual Conversations. Listening Your Way Into Spiritual Conversations. Wondering Your Way Into Spiritual Conversations. 
And then in the, in the back, it has this, it has, yeah, you can put that up on the screen. You put God's, oh yeah, good, you got it. And it's 99 wondering questions. You know, we say, I wouldn't even know what to ask. Here it is. There you go. And, and, there's, and there's even more for um, wondering into another culture. You realize that, that our um, culture right now is, is so divided. Our nation is so divided. We're, we're divided into subcultures of people who, who have different perspectives. I mean, we, we, we've all got a gang, you know, it's kind of like a big gang. Um, and, and, so, and, and so many times it's like going to another country. You, you don't even know, you know, how they understand things. And again, this is where this is important. So you gotta, you've got to, you gotta ask questions to be informed. How do you understand? Tell me who you are. I mean, and this is fun. This is, this is great stuff. So the principle here is that the mechanics aren't the deal. I want you to remember two things as we, as, or maybe three, as we start this journey. Number one, quit filtering yourself. Every time you have a conversation, most people don't want to have a conversation because they are afraid they're going to say something wrong. They're going to say something that offends people. Could I just guarantee you, you will say something wrong? You, anytime you're having a conversation, our culture is so touchy right now, we can't discuss the smallest thing without ticking people off. And so I, I guarantee you, you'll say something wrong. I, I, you know, I, I, even if it's in humor, you know, Pete and the cat humor at the beginning here, um, you know, dismissing or disrespecting cats. I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of you cat owners that just wrote Pete off with that, okay? All right, let me just say he's sorry. We're trying to get him into a 12-step group. Just haven't. But I, I'm always saying something wrong, always. I'm always offending people. I, every time I preach, Several of you that week will write me, you know, pastor, when you said this, you don't have, oh, sorry, I didn't say that right. You know, I just write you right back. The point is, we still have to have the conversation. I, I go through this exercise, and, and many of you know about it. I pray the rose before I preach. I, I, and every one of you, I've touched every one of your rows, every one of them, and prayed for you that you could receive the word of God because I believe in the power of prayer. Many of you know I pray before I preach. Not many of you know I pray after I preach. And I pray one of the most important prayers that you can pray too. This is my prayer after I preach. God, fix what I just said. <laughs> seriously, seriously. He can totally revamp it and make it make sense in your mind. The power of the Holy Spirit can do that, can do that. And for those of you who write me, he didn't fix you right away. He gave me the opportunity to give it a shot. You know, that's all right, that's all right. And maybe I can give it a shot and maybe it doesn't get fixed. And if it doesn't, that means there's probably another problem working in there that had nothing to do with the sermon whatsoever. Uh, and you've got to settle for that too. It's not some, some other, but somebody uh, anger is not about you usually. It's about something that's going on inside of them. But here's the point. Stop trying to filter everything you say. Let me assure you, when you're having a conversation with people, when you're interested in people, when you love Jesus, 
overall, it's going to come out fine. Do you know how I know that? Because the Bible promises it. Jesus promises it. This is what it says in John chapter 7, verse 38. To the one who believes in me, it is just as the scripture has said, streams of living water. There's that phrase again. What did, what did Jesus promise the woman? Streams of living water. What does Jesus supply you with when you accept him as your personal savior? Streams of living water. Where is that living water? It's in you. Streams of living water will flow from within him and her. That's what's going to come through in a major way when you're interested in someone else. Streams of living water. That's what you have <coughs> resident in you. <coughs> Here's the second principle, and I've implied it all along. But I need to say this. Don't feel like every time they say something, you have to say something back. This is, and, and I, know, I know people are scared to death of, of uh, silence. Well, what if it gets quiet? I, I got to fill in the gap because that's very uncomfortable. Don't do that. Now let them fill in the gap because you're still listening for more from them. Every time you say, look, if you're trying to hear from them, if everything they say, you say, well, you want to know what I think? You've just left them and you've come back to your own, your own perspective. All right? That doesn't, that doesn't create understanding. That just, that just, I think it was Stephen Covey that once said, most people don't, don't talk to listen, they talk to reply. And, and that's what we got to get over. So don't just wait your turn to say something. Don't be intimidated by a silence. Don't feel like you have to fill everything in. If the conversation starts going in a way that makes you uncomfortable, let it go. I, I, I want to say this to you. We are, we are people who are too wanting for every episode to have its own conclusion instead of leading to the next episode. We, we, we want a solution at the end of a conversation or in the middle of a conversation. This is a, if you're a man, this is especially true. Most men are wired, if you tell me a problem, I gotta solve it. That's just how, that's how, how we think, you know? Uh, why else would you be telling me this? Unless you want me to solve it. And so we'll just try, that's not, that's not what they're looking for. You don't even understand the problem. You don't even understand them. If you just don't withhold your solution long enough to let them talk more. Some, some of the women are the same way. They're, they're what, what are called men and women mix up here. This is, I'm not trying to be biased here, but, but, but there are some external processors. You know what an external processor is? They have no idea what they're saying. They just start talking. And, and, and somewhere along the line, they feel like if they talk enough, then they'll, then they'll all reach a common solution together. That's an external pro processor, you know? And, and, and there are men and women like that too. Please don't just feel like you have to fill up everything with your words or with your response. You, you know, the same word, the same letters are in the word listen that are in the word silent. There's a, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. 
And I realized that some of us, especially if we're gifted, all of us have different spiritual gifts, you know? Now, if you're gifted like a prophet, <clears throat> and, that, and, that, and, that, and uh, that conversation starts going the wrong direction, and you think, oh man, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, I gotta say something, you know? You're gonna, you're gonna want to say, well, that's just wrong, you know? Let me tell you something. I know you did it out of good intentions because you know whatever leads to sin leads to pain and you're trying to save them from pain. But I, can I tell you the, the reality of every relationship? The reality of a relationship is that a premature judgment will not only end the conversation, it'll end the relationship. And the pain will grow even worse because you couldn't be quiet long enough to understand the fullness of the story and to love the person just like they were. If you're a teacher, if you're gifted as the gift, you have the gift of teaching and you're listening to something, you're gonna to wanna to say, well, I can tell you how to do that. Let me, just, let me just teach you how to do it. You don't have to go through that. I can tell you how to do it. Just don't, don't. Because every time you interrupt somebody's story or you fail to ask, a further explanation? Tell me more about that. What, did, what does that mean, do you think? Every time you, you, you interrupt, that also says to them, they're not interested in me. They're guiding this toward their own solution. I'm not interested in being a part of their story. I, I, I love it that maybe we might have we might share our lives, but I'm not be, I'm not interested in being a part of their solution, their arrangement of my life. So we've got to listen. We've got to empathize. We've got to put ourselves in their place long enough that they will see. You know, I can see how they think their God came down and walked in our shoes and suffered all temptation just like we did and suffered pain just like we did and was misunderstood just like we are. I can see how they think that is the highest understanding of God. So let me, let me wind it up here. I'm going, I'm going on too long. We'll talk more. Here's, here's the goal that we would get to the place where we would see our faith as more than mere obedience. That we would see our faith as more than simple, accurate theology. That we would see our faith as a matter of personal relationship. Do you remember in, in John 15, 15, where Jesus looked at his disciples? And this is what he said. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you know what that means? I'm more interested in your, than, than, than your obedience. I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in the conversation where we understand one another completely. That's the highest form of faith. 
Not jumping to conclusions, not jumping to your own agenda, not jumping to judgment, not jumping to anything. Just, just not even jumping to obedience, not even jumping to, to, to accurate understanding of the, of the Bible. It's, it's just, let's talk for a while so we can love each other. When I was in seminary, <clears throat> there was a brilliant student who wrote a story about two kids in Germany. They lived in the mountains, they were best friends. And, uh, and, and every once in a while, because the culture was safe back then, this is 100 years ago, their moms would let them go down into the village together just to kind of explore. And they would walk down the street and in that day, the storefronts saw the, the uh, merchants practicing their trade in front of everybody. You could look in and you could watch the baker bake. You could look in and, and, and you could watch the cobbler repair shoes. You could look in and in this case, watch the woodcarver, which is, which is the first window they stopped at. And this woodcarver's in there and he's, he's, he's carving this huge block of wood. And they're trying to, of course, trying to guess what it is. And so, and so it, they, they look, it looks like they see a, a roof line and, and some eaves and, and, and some pillars and, and both of them knock on the window and they said, it's a chalet, you're carving a chalet. Off come the eaves, off come the pillars. Well, the first little boy said, man, I, I got more to do than this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, you know. But the second one was wired like a lot of us are. We got to, we got to guess right, you know, we got to get, you know. So he stood there and every time he saw a shape develop, he would guess. He saw the block of wood become rounded and, and what looked like the beginning of big ears and he knocked on the, knocked on the wood side, it's an elephant, isn't it? It's an elephant, you're carving an elephant. Off came the ears. And the woodcarver motioned to the boy and said, come sit by me. So he went in and the boy never took, his, never took his eyes off that block of wood. You know, never, never stopped in his mind estimating what he was making. But during the time the woodcarver asked him questions. What's your name? Tell me about your family. What's your favorite thing? What does it mean to you when and every once in a while, the boy would ask him a question. You got any grandchildren? Well, how long have you been doing this? You know? And every time a shape would seem to develop, the boy would guess it, and the shape would go, to, go away. They spent all afternoon together. Finally, that huge block of wood came down to this little block of wood, and he watched the knife carve away everything but these sweeping wings in this long, wonderful, elegant neck. And the boy said, it's a swan. This whole time, you've been making a swan. Off came the wings, off came the neck, and there lay nothing but a pile of wood chips on the floor.
The little boy was indignant. And he got up, he was so angry at this old guy. He said, I can't believe you did that. And the old guy said, did what? He said, you tricked me. He said, this whole time, you were making nothing. And the old man said, oh, but I was. I was making an opportunity for us to get to know one another. More important than the answers, more important than the accuracy, is the relationship. That's where everything begins. We will get to what my friend Pat Morley calls the golden question. Where are you on your spiritual journey? That opens up all kinds of information. But most of us, quite frankly, aren't prepared to get there unless we have a good relationship already going because we don't know that we can answer what follows. The relationship. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for the journey that you have us on. We know that you can do anything, but that you choose to use our journeys to show us who you are. So take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow, and to our hearts that we might not grow cold, and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.